Well, church, we have been working very hard since the beginning of the year, laying out our vision, understanding what God is calling us to. And I thought that we would take a deep breath and, and take a little break and get ourselves ready for a different part of our ministry. And that's a ministry of how we engage people in their faith. One of the realities that, that we face is that it's harder and harder to talk to people about faith in, in the very uh, traditional way that is known as evangelism, of, of talking to people so, where is your relationship with Jesus today? Um, we need to be able to nuance that a little bit in how we engage people in talking about who Jesus is, how much he loves them, what his plan is for our lives. So one of the ways to do that is, is to look at the movies that come out around us. We are three or four weeks away from the Academy Awards. We've already had the Golden Globe Awards. And there's a lot of films that people are talking about. So we're going to spend the next couple of weeks on a series called Red Carpet Ready talking about some of the films that are being recognized this season, which are not overtly Christian films, but give us the opportunity to engage our friends in discussion. So the movie that we're going to talk about today is called Marriage Story. It is on Netflix, so you can go home and see it. Um, and we're going to talk about that, and, and, and if you've been paying attention to the scripture, you know that Marriage Story might not be the right name for this particular movie. Let's pray together and we'll study the word. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us to do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you were thinking that a movie called Marriage Story is a story about marriage, you would be incorrect. Instead, it is a deeply moving and extremely relatable story of divorce. The Barbers, Charlie and Nicole, have reached an impasse, and they find themselves living on two different coasts trying to navigate a divorce while raising their only child, Henry. The film opens with them reflecting on the things that they love about the other person. And it closes in pretty much the same way. But in the middle, there's this divorce, a painful, costly divorce that is going to require healing and hope. In 2020, it's just a sad reality that, that we cannot have a complete discussion on marriage without spending some time talking about divorce because it may seem to us that for an over, overwhelming number of marriages in the world today, divorce has become an expected inevitability. And many have decried the state of moral decay as, in these modern times as very unique events in the history of the world. But as it happens, however, divorce has been a painful and at times extraordinarily common event since the earliest days of the faith. When the Apostle Paul wrote about it to the people of Corinth, he was writing in a time where there was widespread cohabitation, easy divorce, and sexual immorality, which as we know is nothing like the world today, right? But even for as long as it's been around, it must be said that divorce is incredibly painful. 
And you see that pain as you watch this movie. It's not fun. It's not something that anyone signs up for voluntarily. And because of that pain, we as a church really need to study and to know what we're talking about when it comes to the scriptures and when it comes to divorce, because there's far too many people out there in the world that have suffered at the hands of a well-meaning church who at their weakest moment went out and shot their own wounded. Before we take a look at the scripture, there are a couple things I want to be absolutely 100% clear about. No one deserves ever, for any reason, to be physically or emotionally abused. No mother or father should be put in the position of watching their children be abused or their lives endangered. There are times when divorce is not only necessary, it is vital and it is urgent, and let no one convince you otherwise. The other thing that I'd like you to hear at the outset of this sermon is that almost every person in this room and out in our community has been touched by divorce in some way. They may not have experienced it personally, but they know someone who has. And that's part of the critical acclaim for the marriage story because so many people identify with it. And for as, even as, as common as it has become, many are made to feel like second-class citizens because of it. And some churches reinforce this notion and they further hurt those who are already in pain. My friends, do not despair of the love and grace of God. Divorce is not something that God wants for us. It wasn't part of his plan for our lives. But God understands, as we're about to see, divorce in a deeply personal way. And he never, not ever, turns his back on those who have experienced it. So with all of that said, let's take a look at Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Jesus left that place, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds gathered around him, and as was his custom, he taught them again. Some Pharisees came, and to test him they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, we know that whenever the Pharisees show up, the red lights start flashing, and we hear, Warning, warning, warning. This is a setup. The Pharisees are looking to get Jesus to, at the very least, take some kind of side here that's going to separate and divide people. And from a modern perspective, we can see that this has the potential to go in a really bad direction really fast. But first century readers would have seen this scandal brewing from an entirely different perspective. Remember that Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher, and teachers typically are not supposed to just make stuff up. Usually, they teach what they have been taught, what they know. And so when it came to divorce, that's exactly what Jesus would have done. And what Jesus would have used as his teaching, of course, would have been the Old Testament scriptures. Immediately in his mind, there are two that would have come into the picture. The first one would have been Deuteronomy 24.1. In our translation, it reads, Suppose a man enters into a marriage with a woman, but she does not please him because he finds something objectionable about her. And so he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hands, and sends it out of her house, out of his house. The actual Hebrew te text reflects more along the idea, more along the lines of the idea that um, there was a cause of indecency or, or sexual impropriety. 
that cause part, whatever it is that caused this, this is really important for us to think about. The second text informing Jesus' response to divorce would have been Exodus 21.10, which, which reads that if he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish the food, clothing, or marital rights of the first wife. Now these two texts would have been the basis for the conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the reason that the whole conversation was a setup was because there was some conflict, two schools of thought, on the Deuteronomy passage. The first school of thought was that the only possible way that divorce could ever be remotely considered would be in the case of adultery. The second school of thought revolves around that whole idea of cause, what caused this, meaning basically that any cause would be an acceptable cause, or in our modern parlance we would call it irreconcilable differences. And you have to understand that both of these texts both of them were pretty revolutionary for their time to begin with. And that's because at that time, most of the ancient Near East operated under what is called the Hammurabi Code, which basically said that the husband, that the husband could file for divorce for any reason women did not have the same option. If his wife got a new hairstyle and he didn't like it, divorce. If she ordered pizza instead of cooking a meal, divorce. If the kids were crying and it annoyed him, divorce. However, under this code, if he ever changed his mind down the road, he could come back, walk in the door, and take back his wife and kids. Meaning that while technically a woman might be able to get remarried, what man is going to want to go marry someone whose ex-husband could walk right back in the door and lay claim to her at any moment? So Moses' law was actually pretty revolutionary in that it actually provided some protections for women. In the Deuteronomy passage, she gets a writ of divorce, something that she can hold in her hands free and clear with her ex-husband no longer having any further claim to her. In the Exodus passage, we discover that marriage involves some vows, which if you have ever been married, you know about, those vows would have included fidelity or faithfulness, vows of provision, and vows of love. When those vows are broken, as in the man decides he's going to go find himself a new model, the victim, the first wife, has rights, including the right to go get remarried. But Jesus knew that the Pharisees were specifically only looking at that Deuteronomy passage. And so he answers them by saying, well, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. So basically, the Pharisees were coming into this with the idea that any old reason, any reason at all was a good reason to get divorced. If somebody gets fat, if somebody spends too much money, if somebody can't stop watching Gators football, any of these are perfectly good reasons to get divorced in the minds of the Pharisees. They wanted to make sure, and, and we do this too sometimes, they wanted to make sure that Jesus gave them the interpretation of the Jewish law that they wanted to hear. Just pick out the scripture that defends the argument, that's all I want to hear, and let's go forward. But Jesus says to them, he says, but because of your hard-heartedness, your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you, 
But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus flips this, as he often does in his conversations with the Pharisees, to their own hardness of heart. He's saying Moses was not all about divorce. He wasn't a great pro-divorce crusader. But Moses' statements on divorce were in response to the hard-heartedness of those who were seeking answers to divorce. When Jesus talks about hard-heartedness, he's talking about a complete unwillingness to repent. This unwillingness to repent, to change directions, that's one of the driving themes of the movie Marriage Story. There is an unwillingness to change direction and to go a different way. But Jesus understood, however, that Moses knew that in some cases, repentance just was not going to happen. And if there wasn't going to be repentance, so for example, say a man is cheating on his wife and after being caught decides he's going to continue to do it anyway, then the vows are broken and divorce is the option of last resort. But if there's a move towards repentance, then by all means, one should move towards rebuilding the marriage, if at all possible. In many ways, Moses and Jesus were realists. Perhaps the allowance for divorce was seen as as an accommodation, but it certainly wasn't anything that anyone at any point would have celebrated, which is why Jesus says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. My friends, we may not want to acknowledge this, but, but even the best piece of paper signed by the finest judge around will never fully separate us in marriage. In the marriage story movie, it is clear that even in divorce, there, is, there are relationships and bonds that forever change the individuals, even if they're not still together. Marriage persists in divorce because you will never go back to being exactly who you were before you got married. So that piece of paper stands as witness to the reality that that marriage has been destroyed. And that hurts. That hurts. The scripture circles back when Jesus' disciples ask him again about the matter, and he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, you have to remember that he is saying this in the context of that debate on Deuteronomy 24, which means that he's saying, if you wake up one morning and you decide, you know, I'm just tired of this. I don't want to do this anymore. This is, this is inconvenient for me. And you go out and you get that divorce, and then you turn right around and get remarried, that's adultery. He's not, he's not speaking about or, or holding this statement in tension with that Exodus passage which outlines three legitimate yet still really painful reasons for divorce. Infidelity, lack of provision, and love. We're all pretty much aware of what infidelity is, but I want to quickly address what we mean here by lack of provision and lack of love and what that meant in their context and what it means in our context. One of the number one reasons for divorce is finances. Newlyweds are more likely to fight about money than anything else, and that is not new. 
most divorces in the ancient world were rooted deeply in financial crosshairs as well. But when we speak of provision, we are talking about basic food, basic shelter, basic clothing. In Exodus, what would happen would be that a man would go out and he'd get himself a new wife. And the old wife, who in that context had no social standing in the community, no ability to go get a job, no ability to go provide for herself, shunned from family because divorce was not okay, she would be totally left to her own devices. And the law in Exodus says that you cannot just strand her, you must provide for her. Now where we've twisted this in our modern culture is that when people start heading into divorce and you start getting lawyers involved and we start talking about money, which is the case in this, this movie, we start talking about being provided for it in the lifestyle to which we would like to become accustomed, right? Which is very different than that basic life provision. We start working on getting ourselves a bigger house and more stuff. It's not what the scriptures had in mind for an acceptable divorce. You cannot claim that your spouse did not provide for you if they simply failed to provide for you in the lifestyle to which you had dreamed you would become accustomed. So in modern terms, an acceptable lack of provision basically comes from complete and total abandonment. Then there is love. And when we talk about love in terms of divorce, we're not talking about, oh, I don't, I don't love you today. I don't like the way that you put the toilet paper on the roll. I don't like the fact that you left the cap off of the toothpaste. I don't like that your socks are all over the floor. That's not what we're talking about here. Abuse, abuse taken to its extreme breaks the vows of love. And when that vow is broken, there are grounds for divorce. Divorce, like marriage, was never meant to be entered into lightly, and that's why it's incredibly painful, particularly for people of faith. God's plan for marriage is not to end in divorce, but God understands the pain of divorce in the most profound way, and that's from a personal perspective. Jeremiah 3.8 records God's divorce reading, for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. So our God is a divorcee, and we know, we know the pain that that caused for him. He loved Israel with every fiber of his being. He brought her out of slavery. He protected her in the wilderness, led her to the promised land, and yet time and time and time again, she was unfaithful. Idolatry is a form of adultery, and nobody did it better than Israel, and Israel broke the heart of God to the point of divorce. Pastor John Ortberg shared it best when he said that on the cross of Calvary, God entered into the very first divorce recovery program. In Hosea 2.19, speaking of the coming of Calvary, it reads, and I will take you for my wife forever, and I will take you for my wife in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will take you for my wife in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So maybe it's not so surprising in 2020 that a movie called Marriage Story is actually about divorce. However, just because divorce has become commonplace 
does not mean that it gets to hold the final word over any of us. And for those of you that have been told otherwise, who have had judgment passed on you without ever getting a chance to tell your story, which you owe to no one, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that you were told that you were beyond the love of Jesus Christ. There is something much better that I would love to offer to you, and that's grace. It is the ability to know that whatever has happened, whatever it is that you went through, whatever it is that brought you to this place, there is hope and there is forgiveness and there is love that is available to you through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our, out of the pain of his own divorce, God found a way. And through Jesus, we invite you to find that way as well together. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, there are all of us in this room who have either personally experienced a divorce or who have been connected to a loved one, a friend, a neighbor, a colleague who has gone through it. And that gives us an incredible opportunity to be witnesses to your grace and your mercy and your love and forgiveness. So help us, help us when, when we have those opportunities to shine that light because there is a world out there that needs to hear some good news. In your name we pray. Amen.